0: Welcome to episode ninety-two of the Star Trek Academy, a podcast about the latest new Star Trek. Today, our topic is episodes seventeen and eighteen of Star Trek: Prodigy, entitled "Ghost in the Machine" and "Mind Walk." I'm the Academy Media Professor, Michael Merrick,
1: and I'm the Academy Philosophy Professor, Rodney Cup. And you can find us on Twitter, Mastodon, and Facebook, all with the same username at Trek underscore Academy. Our Tumblr address is Trek Academy without an underscore. And of course you can listen directly on our website or find places to subscribe your app by going to anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. Rodney, the
0: Mastodon account is pretty new. We were lucky that we were able to get an account on the 10 forward Mastodon server which logically enough is intended as a place for Star Trek fans. We're posting a fair amount of content there on Mastodon right now. On the other platforms, it's just mainly uh, announcements of new podcasts dropping. And for people listening down the road, this is a big deal right now because we're recording in December 2022, and we're seeing candidly a lot of chaos from Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Uh, We have mainly been using Twitter over the months for podcast notices, uh, really from the beginning of our podcast. But now we're making it a point to post in more places and hope to catch different audiences who may be interested in what we're doing. Plus, of course, we have regulars who subscribe their apps and get the new podcasts automatically.
1: All right. Well, before we get into too many other details, uh, we need to present a brief summary of these episodes. And if you haven't seen them Just know that there are spoilers here. And with our summary is Dr. Michael Merrick.
0: Ghost in the Machine is at face value a holodeck malfunction story. We visit holodeck programs of each of the protostar cadets, and the programs begin merging together. So it's kind of a mystery. We discover eventually that this is a plot. The living construct has somehow gained control over hologram Janeway, And uh, when the cadets are heard saying that now they can't go to Starfleet, the construct creates a malfunction in the holodeck to delay them, giving the real Janeway on the Dauntless time to catch up with Protostar, uh, which it does at the end of this episode. The next episode, Mindwalk, sees Zero and Dal using telepathic abilities to attempt to contact Janeway mentally, but Technobabble happens and. Dal and Janeway exchange bodies. So Dal is on the Dauntless, pretending to be Janeway, and Janeway is on Protostar in Dahl's body. The kids fill Janeway in on the threat from the living construct, and she is convinced. Meanwhile, Dahl is raging suspicion on Dauntless because he's kind of who he is and gets confined to sickbay. However, the Diviner releases Dahl slash Janeway, to pay Janeway back for saving his life. In a, a risky spacewalk at warp, Janeway and Dahl manage to change bodies back, but is placed in the brig because her first officer and chief medical officer think her body is still occupied by somebody else. Now, at the end of the episode, the living construct is in full control of Protostar and takes it deep into Federation space. And the Dauntless, calls in all other available Starfleet ships to intercept our heroes. Pop, 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 pop. They all come in and that sets the stage for the two-part season finale that we'll talk about next time.
1: Right. And I've I got to say the mind switcheroo there produced some really funny Trek doll as Admiral Janeway. That's some of the funniest stuff I've seen in a while. And yeah, we'll talk but, about
0: that in a bit, but yes, yeah.
1: yes, it was, there was a, you yeah, know, kind of a a serious
0: overall plot, but a lot of humor in it.
1: That yeah, was great. Before we talk about the philosophy and the themes and the morals, we have some other thoughts about these episodes that we're going to share with you. And we may be jumping around a little bit here because we're considering two of them at the same time, uh, which we don't normally do.
0: Rodney, some things that you and I have been predicting showed up in these two episodes You predicted that at some point, Admiral Janeway and the Protostar crew would be working together, and we see that in Mindwalk.
1: That's right. Now, hopefully she can just get out of the brig. And as I recall, Michael, you suggested that the Protostar crew would try to use Morse code with their phasers to tell Dauntless why they can't talk. And that's exactly what they attempt to do, once in the holodeck, of course. Though they didn't use it successfully, they did at least make the attempt.
0: You know, I had suggested in the previous podcast firing at right angles to the Dauntless so it wouldn't seem to be so threatening. And of course, Rock fired right at the Dauntless. Uh, and also, regardless of w- what Rock said she was sending by Morse code, what we really saw on screen was a plain old, simple SOS. Oh, okay. So that was the, the major appearance. They mentioned Morse code in passing in Mindwalk also.
1: Right. And you also predicted, Michael, that the Diviner might have a redemption story arc in this series and ultimately prevent the Vindicator or the Living Construct from destroying Starfleet. Now in Mindwalk, we see him release Janeway from confinement as a way of paying her back for saving his life. And he also says that her kindness was unexpected, but that he has a mission to complete, and that makes it sound as if he's motivated more by duty now than by malice. So maybe there will be some more redemption on the way.
0: Now we will see. And last time, I, I should have mentioned this a minute ago, but when you talked about Janeway and the Protostar crew working together, I mentioned that I looked forward to seeing the two Janeways talk to each other. And yes, that also happened in in Mindwalk. Rodney, I suppose it was inevitable that Prodigy would give us a holodeck malfunction episode sooner or later. Most mm-hmm. of the episode really was just a romp through the um, the blending holodeck programs. In some ways, there wasn't as much meat to this episode as usual, but a lot yeah. of fun stuff as we see the different crew members' holodeck programs and see yeah.
1: them merge together. Yeah. And learn a little bit about them in the process, which is good. I thought they could have explored some interesting philosophy here. And I know they don't have time for everything, but the idea that we actually know or can only know a lot less than we think we do. So if you think about it, their situation here was similar to the one human beings find themselves in the matrix, say. Unlike that movie though, they have these glitches right, that help them discover that What they're experiencing isn't really happening. So it's more like maybe that TNG episode, Frame of Mind. If you remember that great episode in which that bleeding wound on Riker's head helps him discover that his mind is being toyed with.
0: We only find out at the end of the episode that it was the living construct that hacked, essentially hacked into the protostar system and manipulated hologram Janeway to cause the program loop that the crew just couldn't get out of. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, the living construct had to have some sort of connections to protostar's systems in order to do its original purpose of sending a virus over a comm signal. So that mm. the fact that it had some kind of connection was clearly at least a starting place for uh, for hacking the control of the rest of the system. Uh, I noted the failure of the Morse code gambit earlier but Uh, Remember that the living construct was in charge of everything. There was no chance that anything they tried would have succeeded, even if the real Janeway or someone on her crew might have been intrigued by these pulsing phaser blasts. The holodeck, the things happening there were strictly to delay the crew, not to accurately predict what Admiral Janeway would do, which in another setting, it probably would try to do. The, The program would probably try to do. I've been thinking about this plot device of not being able to use the radio to communicate mm-hmm. between the two ships. And, you know, Rodney, I have quite a bit of experience in different types of radio operations. Particularly, I've been thinking about digital two-way radio communications versus analog radio. And I'm used to using both. A digital signal which, for example, is what we all our cell phones use. A digital signal can have all sorts of data embedded in it in addition to just the voice, in addition to the audio. So that's, for example, how your cell phones send your location, your GPS location to every business in the world, how they track you and stuff.
1: Oh, and that's living, not creepy at all.
0: I don't have my data turned on very often on my phone <laughs> to allow that. The living construct would need to send computer data, the virus, via a digital signal uh, and if it did you know we're just talking audio here we might not notice the other data going back and forth sending data via an analog signal is way different it's more like the old time dial up telephone modems just a, a constant series of tones that uh, send the numbers that are decoded on on the other end and it would be way harder to send a computer program or a virus of any significant size via analog radio. And the people listening on Dauntless would probably hear it very clearly because they're just listening to the audio circuit if it's mm. there. But that, that all is apparently outside of the scope of this plot device, I guess. <laughs> I noted that in repeatedly trying the simulation of encountering Dauntless, Dal was using the same strategy he used several episodes ago when he tried to beat the Kobayashi Maru test. Remember that? He did it again and again and again, hoped to do better each time. But again, like Dal's Kobayashi Maru program, the construct would not let them succeed regardless of how good an effort they made. I did note in the last podcast that I thought the crew should be rehearsing what they would say when they finally connected up with Starfleet, and it was nice to see them now practicing. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we didn't see it on screen, but maybe after their failure on the ice world, where everybody just like forgot to tell the Starfleet folks what was going on. Yeah, Yeah. This is the latest in a series of Star Trek episodes in which people exchange bodies, or at least have their bodies taken over by someone else. Now, they mentioned Organians, And in Star Trek Enterprise, we did see Organians temporarily occupy the body, the bodies of various crew members that was not exchanging bodies or exchanging minds. Those Organians had already made the transition to energy being millions of years ago, so they would not have had DNA. The final original series episode, Turnabout Intruder, featured switched bodies also and let me say, that's an episode we all wish we could forget. And yeah. and if not switched, well, there's some other switched bodies episodes and several episodes across all of the Star Trek series where someone's body was taken over by somebody else's mind.
1: This is the Freaky Friday switcheroo. Yeah, kind that's of. That's what we're talking about. Of.
0: And speaking of Organians, where did they get Organian DNA? The energy beings would not have DNA. Yeah. The Organians, it's been well-established, had been energy beings for a million years or more, maybe millions of years. And in Enterprise, we saw them have the ability to occupy other people's bodies, which is not what they said in this, in this episode. Today's science is re- getting better and better at recovering ancient DNA, but the Organians are still on their planet. So I'm not sure that they would like an archaeological dig To recover ancient corporeal remains of their people so that that was kind of a a, a plot question here where did this organian dna come from and how do they know what the organians were up to a million or more years ago
1: now that's a good question
0: i did read online that kate mulgrew and brett gray who does the voice acting for Dahl, helped each other by recording the switch body lines so the other voice performer could emulate it. Mm. And this is where a lot of the fun that you mentioned in the episode yeah. comes from, particularly doll and Janeway's body still being doll. But this is how that the recording each other's lines so that the other voice performer could listen is how doll and Janeway's body and Janeway and doll's body got the inflections and the vocal patterns. Just, I mean, just down many people don't realize that the voices we hear on TV and movies in most cases, maybe even often or most of the time, are not what was actually recorded as the actors were acting. That's because audio recording on a set is subject to background noise. Yeah. And maybe the mic has to be back away, ways out of camera view. So the sound wouldn't be as good. Sound would be kind of hollow and that. And so the actors go into the recording studio. They listen to how they said the words in the original on set and then they re-record the lines using all that same inflection and voice patterns but under perfectly controlled audio conditions it's called ADR additional dialogue recording so for example uh, Kate Mulgrew would have heard Dahl's lines kind of a phrase at a time as recorded by Grey she hear the phrase and then immediately repeat them for the final version we're going to hear. And that way, uh, in both cases, they were able to really emulate the vocal patterns and the inflections and things of the other voice performer.
1: They did a fantastic job. I just wanted yeah. to mention it was, that. It was, it was,
0: it were, and, and of course, the visual characterization of the characters of yeah. Doll in Janeway's body. That I mean, that was a lot of fun too, because so many of their their physical behavior patterns you could see too. I think we have several other quick takes here, Rodney.
1: Just so that everyone is clear, the Protostar crew repaired the drive, the Protostar drive, a couple of episodes ago. And again, it is not working in mind walk. I think you can count the number of times they've actually used that on one hand. Yeah. Um, but that's because the living construct hijacked hologram Janeway, who locked everybody out, including herself. So the drive was not broken. They just couldn't activate it.
0: In this, uh, in Mindwalk, we hear a lot about warp bubbles and about connecting warp bubbles of the two ships together. And I believe that warp bubble is new terminology in, mm. in Star Trek. Now, in Star Trek Enterprise, we learned that two starships ships flying close together can have their warp fields interact. And there was an episode in which we saw Trip Tucker literally repel between ships at warp And that's kind of similar to what we saw in Mindwalk. But the the producers are visualizing warp drive differently now as if the ship's Mm. in a tunnel, which is not what we've seen in most previous, well, certainly in, in Star Trek through Enterprise. Now, maybe the visualization, they've mentioned the slipstream drive. That the ships apparently have. Uh, We first learned about that in Voyager. They tried to use it to get home faster but it didn't work right in Voyager so maybe there's some rationale there. In Mindwalk we did get a very dramatic scene of Janeway and Dahl in spacesuits between the two starships while traveling at warp and I immediately wondered when Dahl in Janeway's body steps off the outer hull of the Dauntless how does he/slash she go faster than the Dauntless? Stepping off the hull, go faster than the ship traveling at warp, and that's a little bit troublesome. I guess it's because they were all within this single connected warp bubble that we've never ever heard anything about before, and so they were at rest with respect to each other because they were inside the bubble, and it wouldn't take too much momentum. I'm, I'm I don't know. I'm not really thrilled with this reimagining of how warp drive works. In Prodigy and in some of the other recent uh,
1: Star Trek also. Yeah, I'm not, maybe we're not supposed to think about it too much, but it's it's difficult not to. This is Star Trek after all. But I mean, just talking about uh, warp drive weirdnesses here, Janeway mentioned in this episode once being turned into a salamander. Oh. Yes, in that infamous Voyager episode, you'd think they'd just rather pretend that episode didn't happen, but no, they had to bring it up. She did not mention having salamander babies though with her helmsman who was also temporarily a salamander.
0: Yeah, well that was part of the humor referring to one of the worst voyager episodes <laughs> i suppose. Gamma serpentis where they end up at the end of mind walk is a real star. It's mm. about 36.7 light years from earth in oh. uh, in an equatorial constellation serpentis. So it's not one that you see as much from the Northern Hemisphere, but it's an equatorial constellation. And the constellation is a serpent, Serpentis, and uh, Gamma Serpentis is one of the stars representing the head of the serpent.
1: Mike, it seems to me that they reached the heart of Federation space a lot faster than they should have. Yeah,
0: it happened pretty quick. Again, we're seeing, you know, warp drive is different. We got bubbles and we've got slipstream drives and all that stuff. And so, don't know. I suppose you could imagine more time passed than we saw on screen. But uh, still, you know, they, it's it's compressed for the drama, certainly. Mm-hmm. When we get there, we have one of these scenes of a whole bunch of ships all showing up at once. Pop, 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 pop. Mm-hmm. And that's that's almost become a Star Trek trope. Uh, We see it a lot. Um, We saw it in the season finale of Lower Decks. We saw it in the Picard season finale. Even in Strange Mm -hmm. New Worlds season one, the finale, the one that retold the original series, Balance of Terror episode. We had both uh, Romulan ships and Federation ships plop, 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 plopping in on either side of the neutral zone. Now, in my opinion, this is a dangerous navigational practice. In the old days, starships would drop out of warp well away from their destination and approach on impulse. And you note, even the Borg did that in best Mm -hmm. of both worlds when they arrived at sector 001. We saw scenes of them cruising serenely past Jupiter and Mars. Mm -hmm. And even the Enterprise D, as it was chasing the Borg, also passed Jupiter on impulse, even though Riker was desperate to catch up. So again, I don't, I don't like it's dramatic and it's kind of cool to look at, but a gazillion starships all plop 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 plopping in at once doesn't work for me very well.
1: You know that reminds me of the scene in the 2009 Star Trek movie in which all of these starships go to the Vulcan system, and the Enterprise pops up there and. It's very, very dangerous. They're surrounded by planetary debris. Somebody should have wrote a memo. You know, don't do this, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, of course, that was in an alternate timeline. So, oh, our, that is true. Our, our guys wouldn't have gotten the memo that somebody else. Would <laughs> in a separate timeline. <laughs> Right, but still, it's uh, it's visually dramatic, but it's not good navigational practice, in my always humble opinion. Say so a couple other notes. Asentia is back in her trill appearance. Uh, that button on the back of her neck. Uh, So apparently the rewriting of her DNA back and forth between Trill and Boundicott is not a big deal and can happen bi-directionally kind of at need, which which seems awfully convenient. And kind of finally for this section of the podcast, I know that hologram Janeway is supposed to be a faithful replica of the real Janeway. But I thought it was going a bit much to have the hologram have Janeway's childhood memories. And, mm. you know, having Janeway provide the real Janeway provide that kind of access to a computer program of her inner memories or inner thoughts or that surprised me. I mean, that 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 seems really invasive have a hologram program, remember that level of detail from your childhood. So it kind of surprised me that Janeway would allow it. I think that the facets of her personality could be replicated in a hologram program without having to go back mm. to all of the childhood memories.
1: Yeah, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> Being sarcastic, of course. So let's talk about meaning. What messages did the writers and producers want us to take away from this episode?
0: And we get a couple of solid messages, at least in these episodes. One is that Janeway forgot what she learned early in her career about keeping an open mind and not making assumptions. And we mentioned in a previous podcast that everybody seemed to be making assumptions about the kids on the Mm Protostar, And we compared that to the family life of teenagers and parents today who it often seems like aren't really listening and understanding each other uh, very well. But I think it is a lesson for our daily lives that people often do not step back and consider their assumptions and their stereotypes. Uh, It's easy to label someone, but stereotypes and assumptions are almost always wrong, uh, or at least not reflecting important nuances. So I think there's a a good uh, lesson
1: there. And Michael if I could just interject here we are back to this issue or theme of communication yeah and how important it is and I had a few thoughts after our previous podcast it seems to me the entire first season of prodigy is what's tying it all together is communication i mean communication unifies the federation it helps them work together it helps them make new friends and avert conflict and the diviner on the other hand, wouldn't let the unwanted communicate with each other on Tars Lamora. You remember that, yeah. And thanks to the living construct, the proto star can't communicate with the Dauntless, and the Diviner wants to use communication itself to destroy Starfleet and the Federation. So it seems to me, just sort of, uh, you know, getting some synergy here with your point that there's there's a message here about the importance of communication if we're going to get along. And how you know impeding communication and how it leads to conflict and and destruction. Just some thoughts I'm I'm having recently about this season.
0: Yeah, and I think we can see that as a season-long theme. I mean, we're sort of talking about lessons in these two episodes, but I think that is that is a season-long theme that is overarching across all of the episodes and the individual episode messages. The two Janeways also, as they were talking to each other, remember mm. the lesson from their father, uh, which the hologram Janeway creepily remembers, but about making something great out of a mess. Uh, so our lesson here might be uh, when we're going to make something great out of a mess, don't dwell on the past, but address problems going forward. And And that, when I think about that, reminds me of what is called the what about logical fallacy. This is a fallacy in which we judge current problems based on how things happened in the past. And it's often used to say something like, now you're complaining about this, but what about that that happened in the past? Mm. The implication is that something bad today isn't so bad or can be excused because of something that happened in the past and it happened then, so it's okay for something kind of similar to it to happen now. And note that that's different from just asking, what is the precedent for handling this kind of situation? Because the logical fallacy is intended to discount the importance of a current problem or current issue, not to to try to solve it, not to try to make something better out of what you might call a mess.
1: Yeah, uh, good point. I think i have a related thought here michael about this ban on augments and i'm just gonna say it the ban on augments is stupid it's not dow's fault that he was created in a lab and and the very idea that starfleet would outlaw people i think is offensive and it just seems to contradict the very spirit of star trek i think season two of picard address this issue of outlawing people in those first two or three episodes and they got it right. I mean Star Trek is about infinite diversity and infinite combinations and DNA just it does not determine character. If beings are going to be judged, it has to be by their autonomous actions, not their DNA. So, you know, it's un- it's unfortunate that this ban remains in place. And it makes me wonder how they're going to resolve the Una problem in Strange New Worlds next yeah. season, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping Prodigy, maybe this is what they're hoping to do here, they want to eventually move us past this dumb ban, similar to the way in which Picard season one reaffirmed the personhood of synthetic life forms. Maybe we'll see some you know, evolution here in Starfleet, I hope.
0: And Rodney, remember the augments were... The descendants of the eugenics wars, Superman cons people. Mm-hmm. That's what they were called in the Star Trek Enterprise. Um, there was a multiple episode story about augments uh, from the eugenics wars that were uh, found and raised to adulthood in in the Enterprise era, and. Yeah, you know, in in the 1990s, Khan and his folks were kind of megalomaniacs and the augments in Enterprise were not really that stable. So I guess you can see that there might be some questions, particularly if we say that their genetic engineering was pretty primitive and didn't work too well. But I think we also need to remember that Julian Bashir in Deep Space Nine had been genetically engineered after birth. He was a child and he was not doing too well. So he had genetic engineering to essentially make him more intelligent. And he was allowed to remain in Starfleet because it wasn't his fault. His father went to jail for it, but it wasn't Julian's fault. And that was a few years before Prodigy. So I'm imagining ultimately that Dahl may get some court, some kind of exception or the rule may be, may be tweaked. Of course, the rule, as we saw it about synthetic people in Picard, season one, will have to still remain. So we'll see how that works out. It may be at the end of this season or it may carry over into another season of Prodigy. I don't know. It was kind of fun for me that the solution to the crew's problem in the holodeck in Ghost in the Machine is also the core message from the 1983 movie War Games the only winning move is not to play. Hmm. And I think that's also a good lesson in a world that seems to constantly revolve around outrage and, and hate. It's so easy to get it wrapped up in a cause or a belief that anything that might undercut your perspective becomes a target of hate. Somebody says something a little unkind to us and our first impulse is to strike back. But Martin Luther King, for example, said that hate just leads to more hate And we are certainly in a world where we constantly receive messages trying to stimulate outrage and get us to hate whatever the cause or the perspective is. So we need to take a step back. Think about stereotypes, we believe. Psychologists call these ideas perceptual sets or the predisposition to perceive things in a certain way. But most people never really do think about why they believe what they believe if we're aware of what's going on and how we're thinking about it, we'll be much less subject to these efforts to cause outrage and get us to mm. hate. And we will see in many cases, the only winning move is not to play because legitimately different people have different ideas about things.
1: Right. In social media, this is called engagement, right? Yeah. What drives a lot of engagement is outrage and it's such a good point, michael. i'm I'm glad you brought that up. You know when it comes to the internet, which I think just exacerbates this stuff, the, that's the best advice. The only winning move is not to play. It's been a difficult lesson for me to learn.
0: I'm not sure how much of that is really a lesson the prodigy writers intended. But I think the fundamental, the only winning move is not to play, is something that is important in society. That's why we keep remembering the line from the 1983 movie, War Games. Yeah. In recent years, the title of uh, of the first of the episodes we're talking about, Ghost in the Machine, has often mm. been used to refer to machines or technology that seem to have some kind of consciousness or vol- volition, sentient AI, for example, equipment doing something without human intervention that was not expected. Something as simple as saying, my computer hates me. Or as complicated as there were recently some claims of a chatbot that had become Mm self-aware. It was kind of refuted, but it always makes you wonder. In the very final season of the X-Files in 2018, we saw the technology of an automated restaurant pursue Mulder and Scully. (laughs) mercilessly because Mulder did not tip them. Oh, wow. There was also an X-Files episode called Ghost in the Machine. Not a very good one for X-Files fans. I will just say what my wife did. It's the one with the elevator.
1: Okay. You know, when I saw that title, Michael, I thought it might refer to this philosopher, Gilbert Ryle, and his term for Cartesian dualism. So that's the theory that the universe contains bodies and minds. And these are different kinds of substances with different properties. Now, of course, each person is a body and a mind that somehow interact, but the mind can survive the death of the body. So Ryle attacks this view in the previous century. He says that this talk about minds, it's just another way of talking about bodies and to think otherwise is to commit what he called a category mistake. And I won't go into that right now. It's just the weird thing is that if this was what they were referring to, and I don't think it was, but had it been, it, it would have made a better title for the next episode where Dal and Janeway switch consciousnesses, right? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I don't think this title has that philosophical significance. I just think it refers to the living construct uh, and that's The Ghost and the Protostar. So I think your take on the title, Michael, is closer to its actual significance. Mm, thank you. Is it time for final thoughts then? Uh, uh, okay, sum yeah, up sure, here?
0: sure. And Rodney, the Prodigy storyline is turning out to be about the dangers of artificial intelligence, which is really mm. a long-term theme in, in Star Trek. Uh, back in the original series, we got several episodes in which computers are the bad guys, the ultimate computer, mm-hmm. return of the archons, the Apple, there was others. Uh, they didn't know the term artificial intelligence back then in the 1960s. But that's essentially what the stories were about, the dangers of technology or, or the threat of not using technology wisely. Of course, Star Trek is about positive uses of technology, but the flip side of that coin is that technology can be used for wrong things. More recently, Discovery season two, we had that bad computer system called Control, mm-hmm. and uh, Picard season one was about yes, it was about the synthetic people, the the androids, but also about an artificial intelligence that wanted to destroy all intelligent organic life in the galaxy. So it is a long-term theme about technology can cause problems if it's not used right and uh, if it's used for for bad purposes.
1: And I think this fits in with the long-term Star Trek theme of self-determination, right? In the context of our lives, not being controlled by computer systems. And I also think just to allude to Picard season one again, you know, Picard told Soji, I know you will make the right choice. And there, you know, these artificial life forms were shown to be autonomous and not just some sort of dangerous tech that's going to kill us all, right?
0: Yeah, you know, Rodney, just as these episodes premiered in the last few days, as we're recording, the company OpenAI released a chatbot that seems capable of writing high school level essays.
1: That's right. Uh,
0: They're often not as accurate as even a high school student would write, but I I mean, well-written in terms of structure and grammar and vocabulary and things, uh, maybe or maybe not accurately. Uh, But so all of a sudden we are faced with AIs that may soon, not quite yet, but may soon be able to do homework.
1: And I've seen it said that this, this AI is just going to get better as time goes on. So, you know, a lot of us folks in higher education teaching, you know, we're trying to figure out, okay, how, what are we going to do with this?
0: You know, I think it's <laughs> been a challenge for this? a long time because Googling and copying and pasting is is only one step below having an AI write your essay for you. But I think well, you know, more and more we have to ask questions assigned topics for the essay that have to come out of the student's head that and that researching and pulling information off the internet is not going to address the fundamental theme and topic of 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 the assigned essay so that is drifting a little bit away from star trek into higher education and uh, (laughs) that's true uh, you know it, it i mean it is it is a question and and we often come back to Star Trek themes and questions and plots about computers being used for purposes that are not beneficial.
1: Well, I guess getting back to Star Trek then, uh, we are planning to record our next podcast on January 1st or 2nd and explore that two-part season finale Supernova. And in these two episodes, presumably they need to somehow neutralize this living construct monster and maybe even go rescue Chakotay and his crew, or maybe that's something for season two or the next third of season one. I don't know.
0: Now, there's a lot of pondering about what the episode title Supernova or Supernova one, Supernova part two is about. There is a Prodigy Supernova video game out there. I haven't played it. It's logical to assume there might be some kind of connection to the video game, maybe. There have been also some guesses that supernova may refer to the Romulan star supernova. Mm. I think that's a little unlikely because that supernova would be about four years in the future Mm. of where Protostar and Dauntless are right now. On the other hand, this season has the storyline about temporal anomalies. So who knows what happens and where they might go time-wise.
1: Yeah, I guess the good news is that we're going to find out soon. So. We'll be back in two weeks. Happy whichever December holidays you're celebrating this year. And happy new year. And as Michael said, our next Prodigy podcast will be Sunday or maybe Monday, January 1st or 2nd. Looking at that two-part season finale, Supernova. Now, remember that we're now posting podcast updates on Twitter, Mastodon, and Facebook at Trek underscore Academy. And also at Tumblr at Trek Academy without the underscore. Or you can always check our website at anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks right here on the Star Trek Academy podcast.